This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Good morning Anchor. Great to be with you this morning. My name is Brad Koneman, son of Wendy. I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor, part of Glebe Gospel Community. Yes. We love our Glebe family. And it's a real privilege to be here with you and to open God's Word together today. We're in the middle of a series called Better Together, where we're considering what it looks like for us to be the people of God in an individualistic society. And so we've been considering how God has made us for relationships, made us for community. Last week, we saw that we are a family that the church isn't just some event that you come to, but we're a family. Um, We've been adopted into God's family as his children. And today we're asking the question, well, what happens when community goes wrong? What happens when there's conflict in our lives and in the church? Many of us have come from negative church experiences, come from churches that have been divided, maybe conflict happening on staff teams or between ministry areas. Some of you may have come from churches where there's been cases of spiritual abuse, really negative church experiences where churches have been ripped apart. And we know those stories. We know that many of you have been left hurt and broken and disillusioned and wounded by those experiences. Uh, From one of my previous church experiences, there were two pastors on staff that were basically running rival ministries as competitions, and they wouldn't even talk to each other, and the staff team was toxic, and it ended up dividing the church. And we know that church isn't meant to be like that, is it? Church is meant to be a family. We're meant to show to the world the love of God by our love for one another, and so often conflict undermines that witness to the love of God and distracts us from the mission that God has called us to. So wouldn't it be amazing if we could be part of a church that actually embodied healthy relationships, that responded to conflict in a positive, productive, healthy way by pursuing peace? Would anyone want to be part of a church like that? Yes. So that's what we're looking at today. Jesus has called us to be peacemakers. So let me ask you this, how do you respond to conflict in your own life? My mum, Wendy, just introduced us to that peace-faking, peace-breaking paradigm, and I've got that on the screen for us. Uh, This is a tool from PeaceWise called the Slippery Slope, looking at different responses to conflict. Many of you will have heard of the fight-flight paradigm when there's a threat, and it's very similar to this. So when you're in conflict, many of us have an escape response, a peace-faking response, where rather than trying to resolve the conflict, we're trying to avoid the conflict. And so we deny that it's happening, we withdraw emotionally, we escape, we peace-fake. On the other end of the, uh, of the scale, many of us have an attack response where we're more concerned with winning a fight than with preserving a relationship. And many of us have kind of a complex mix of both of these. We might withdraw, 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 bottle up, bottle up, and then attack. Both sides of this slippery slope are unhealthy and sinful. And I wonder which one, which side of this you fall on. What's your default response to conflict? I know for me, I'm much more of a peace faker, like mother, like son. I tend to avoid conflict. What about you? How do you respond to conflict? Well, what if there was a better way to respond? And there is. 
rather than an escape response motivated by fear or an attack response motivated by anger. Today we're looking at Jesus' call to be peacemakers, a response motivated by love. And I believe this teaching is absolutely essential for us as a church community if we're going to experience healthy relationships. I know it's been personally transformative for me, and I believe that whether you're a Christian or not a Christian here this morning in this room, that God has something for you today, that you're going to walk away from here with something useful, practical, helpful that's going to benefit your everyday relationships. People keen for that? All right. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to begin together. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you again today, and... We want to invite you into this room and into this space and into our lives, and we ask that you would have your way, that you would bring peace, your peace, into our lives, and that you might do a work here this morning that that allows us to pursue peace in our relationships, just like you have pursued peace with us. So please do a work here today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've heard that conflict is everywhere. We, we look around the media and you know, we hear all those stories of political backstabbing and leadership spills and we're like, oh man, I don't want anything to do with that. You know, we see the contract blow-ups between Israel Folau and the ARU and we're like, oh, it's so messy, conflict, terrible, terrible, terrible. And so many of us have heard and believed that conflict is bad and dangerous and to be avoided at all cost. Conflict is not only kind of out there in the big high-profile things that are happening, conflict is a part of our everyday experiences as well as we navigate our complex web of relationships and all our different roles and responsibilities. Conflict is in our marriages, in our families, as we work out our relationship with our parents and our children and our siblings. It's in the workplace as we navigate our relationship with our bosses and co-workers and people that we might be supervising. It's in our communities as we navigate our relationships with our neighbours. On Thursday, many of us were down in the Southern Highlands at Joel and Nicole Viglioni's wedding. What a special day. Joel and Nicole, you might have seen Joel up here on bass or singing or Nicole on keys. Uh, They're part of Peakhurst Gospel Community and they got married on Thursday. It was beautiful down in the Southern Highlands. A beautiful wedding and yet they're going to experience conflict in their marriage. Whenever sinners get in close proximity to one another, there's going to be tension and conflict. So, what can we do about it? What's really going on in conflict? Today we're going to be asking three questions. First, what's going on in conflict? Second, where can we find peace? And third, how can we be a peacemaking community? So first up, we're asking that first question. What's really going on as we experience conflict? I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to James chapter 4. I'm going to read the first two verses of James chapter 4. If you've got your phone or iPad, um, get that out as well, or your real, original, hardback Bible. Uh, The verses will also be on the screen. What's really going on in conflict? It's the same question that James asks here. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this... Is it not what, James? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James is asking the same question that we're asking. What's really going on in conflict? Why are you fighting and quarreling? And what's the answer that he gives us? 
It's your passions, your desires that are at war within you. See, beneath the surface of our actions and our words, there's something going on in our hearts. We have a desire, usually for a good thing, but when we don't get it or when someone stops us getting it or stands in the way of having those desires met, we respond with negative emotions and then punishing behavior. We actually hurt the other person because they've stopped us getting what we want. And we see this same dynamic of desire, emotion, behavior played out in one of the first stories of conflict in Genesis 4, the story of Cain and Abel, a story we're all familiar with. So immediately after the fall, as sin enters the world, God puts the world under a curse. We begin to see all of creation in this downward spiral of sin and conflict and death. And Adam's, Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel, are one of these, these first stories of conflict. So Cain was a farmer. He worked the ground, grew, grew his crops. Abel was a shepherd, looked after the sheep. Both of them bring an offering to God. God accepts Abel's offering, but he rejects Cain's offering. Cain obviously responds He's furious, he's angry, and he responds in murder. So let's ask, what's really going on in this conflict? What's going on in Cain's heart? Well, first of all, he has a desire, a good desire. Cain is looking for acceptance. He's looking for approval. But he's also seeing his relationship with his brother as a contest. He's, you might remember the ladder that James Dawson took us through last week. He's trying to get one up on his brother and trying to, to win the, the best offering contest. So Abel, his brother, frustrates his desire. Abel gets the best offering. And Cain responds with these negative emotions of jealousy, anger, bitterness, rage, and then the punishing behavior of murder. Do you see this same pattern in your own life? I'm not imagining that you went out and murdered your brother yesterday. But this same pattern of desire, when it's frustrated, you then have that reaction of negative emotion and then punishing behavior. Sinful behavior, whether that's thoughts or words or deeds against someone else. The Bible calls this deeper heart problem idolatry. Whenever we have an uber desire, a passion that controls us, whenever we replace God with something created and look to that created thing to satisfy all our desires, the desires that only God can satisfy. What are those deeper desires for you? What are those underlying idols, good desires that end up controlling you to the extent that you hurt other people? For most of us, we're all looking for the same things. We're looking for the same things as Cain. We're looking for acceptance, approval. We might be looking for respect or comfort or security, and then we look to our career to satisfy us or our relationships to satisfy us or trying to collect as many travel experiences as we can to satisfy us or building our investment portfolio to satisfy those deep desires. But none of those creative thing, created things can satisfy us as deeply as God created us to do. We're left unsatisfied, restless, searching. And so we can learn all the conflict resolution skills there are out there, and there are some brilliant tools that mum's going to be taking us through later. But if we don't deal with the deeper things that are happening in our hearts, those deep idols and desires, if we don't actually deal with our sin in conflict, then we're not really addressing the heart 
of conflict and we won't see any real lasting change for ourselves personally or in our relationships. And so what I want us to see is that conflict is not something to be afraid of. Conflict is not something to run away from. Conflict is an opportunity for us. God is issuing you an invitation in your conflict to become more like Jesus. Conflict is where we are sanctified. It's, it's the place in our life where God wants to do something to work on us, to change us, to transform us, to be more like Jesus. And so that process starts as we actually deal with our sin. And so how can we find peace is our second question. Where can we find a solution to our conflict that actually deals with our sin? Where can we find peace? Well, the good news of the story of the Bible is that God is the one who takes the initiative to enter into our conflict to bring peace. And we see this throughout the whole story of the Bible. When God created the world, he created it for us to share his peace. The biblical idea of peace, of shalom, is not just the absence of conflict, but it's this more positive idea of full human flourishing, all created things flourishing as God intended it to. And we see this reflected in the creation account in the idea of Sabbath. God created the world very good every day. He's cheering it on, saying, this is amazing, I love it, very good, very good, very good. And then he celebrates and rests on the seventh day, enjoying his creation. And that's it. he created us to share his peace, to share his rest, to share his Sabbath with him. But then, of course, sin enters the world. Sin ruins relationship. The whole created order spirals down into conflict and sin and death as we enter into conflict with God and conflict with one another. And then the whole trajectory of the Old Testament is a trajectory of promise. From Genesis 3 onwards, there's this promise of a peacemaker, someone who will come and deal with sin, who will reverse the curse, who will bring true and lasting peace to God's created order. And this story, of course, climaxes with Jesus, who is called the Prince of Peace. And through his cross, at the heart of what he's doing is bringing peace and reconciliation to the world. And so I want to... I want you to flick over to Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, where we're going to see this idea of Jesus, our peacemaker, bringing peace through his cross. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. The words are on the screen as well. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So what has God done through his son, Jesus? God has reconciled to himself all things. And how has he done that? How has he brought peace? Through the blood of his cross. See, for peace to be made, we need to deal with what breaks peace, which is our sin. And on the cross, Jesus takes on our sin, he pays the penalty, he defeats its power, and he brings forgiveness and true and lasting peace to his world. And, and we, can, can, we can envision this peace in three different areas. Jesus brings cosmic peace, he brings peace with God, and he brings peace with one another. So first, cosmic peace. Jesus reconciles all things to God, things on heaven, things in earth, th things on earth and things in heaven. And that kind of reflects that creation uh, trajectory that we, we just heard about, that God's desire for the world that he's, he has made is to bring it all into a state of restoration and flourishing. 
It's kind of like in the story of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, where you know, the kids come in through the wardrobe and it's winter. And Narnia is under the spell of, of the queen. Spring should have come, but it's all winter. And then when Aslan appears on the scene, the snow begins to melt. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The snow begins to melt. Spring begins to come. The flowers start to come out. And that's exactly like what it's like when Jesus appears on the scene bringing his kingdom. He breaks the curse of the wicked witch. He breaks the curse of sin and brings spring into this world. He brings cosmic peace. But Jesus also brings peace with God. Through his death on the cross, he offers us reconciliation with God. We were his enemies. We were outcasts, rebels. And now he... He offers us the hand of friendship, that we can have peace with God. But he also offers us peace with one another. Jesus is our peace. Jesus unites the church together in all of its diversity into one body, with one Lord, with one spirit. And because Jesus has taken our punishment for sin, we don't need to punish someone else for it. We can entrust ourselves to God and leave the judgment to him. Throughout the Bible, like I'm even thinking of the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. There's this connection between the forgiveness that we experience with God and the forgiveness that we offer to one another. And experiencing God's forgiveness ought to overflow in a life of forgiving those who have sinned against us. So where can we find peace? We need a solution that's going to deal with the root problem of our sin, and that only comes through the Prince of Peace, Jesus who through his death on the cross makes peace, cosmic peace, peace with God, peace with one another. So, finally, how can we be a peacemaking community? Our scripture for today was Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Church, we are peacemakers That's not an optional add-on extra. That's a mark of the kingdom community. We are peacemakers. And this is so countercultural. Like the way of the world is, if you want peace, prepare for war. And that's what people expected when Jesus came bringing the kingdom of God. They thought he was going to bring his kingdom by force. And we see this... We see Jesus speak against this throughout his ministry. You, you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, when Jesus, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. What does Peter do? Draws his sword, cuts the soldier's ear off, and Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. The kingdom doesn't come by force. Before Pilate, as Jesus is on trial, being unfairly, unjustly tried, Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus says, well... My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would be fighting to to bring it. And of course, Peter did draw his sword. But Jesus is making the point that my kingdom does not come by force. No, my kingdom comes by me laying down my life willingly in love for your enemies. See, for Jesus, you disarm them not with force, but with love. And the way of Jesus for us as his kingdom community is a way of nonviolence, of enemy love, of forgiveness of peacemaking. And this is a costly way. This is the way of forgiveness. And that means choosing to bear the cost of someone's sin against you personally rather than holding it over them. 
It's a choice to release them from the punishment that they do. Now, of course, this is not at the expense of justice. Jesus will bring the sword of justice. And I think it's important here also to say that as we're talking about personal peacemaking, we're not talking about cases of abuse. The, the principles that we're going to hear about an apology and taking responsibility for your own sin. We don't want to hold victims accountable for what's been done against them. No, this is not at the expense of justice. We don't ignore sin, but rather we're choosing to forgive sin, to release the sinner from the punishment that's due to them. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says that this is the way of blessing. Peacemaking is the way of happiness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, of course, this can be hard, but the results of peacemaking and reconciliation are worth it. Who doesn't want to experience restored, healthy relationships? I do. How does Jesus end that beatitude? Blessed are the peacemakers for, what does he say? Has anyone got that? For they shall be called sons of God. What, a, what better way is there for us to reflect the heart of our peacemaking God than through peacemaking? Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. But how do we do it? If I was to say to all of you, all right, church, over morning tea, I only want you to speak Italian to one another. Are there any Italian speakers out there? There might be one or two or none. I don't see any hands. That would be a crazy suggestion, right? Could anyone do that? Of course not. I can't speak Italian. Conflict is like a language to learn. We need to learn the language, the skills, the tools to, in order to, to learn these peacemaking patterns of behavior. You can't just go out there and do it without knowing it. It's like a language to learn. And so to help us learn some of the skills and language and tools of peacemaking, my lovely mum is going to come up and share with us. Thanks, Brad. Where to start? Practically, I want to teach you a tool. At PeaceWise, we teach people this language that Brad talks about. And as a community, as a body of believers, what does it look like for you to live as peacemakers? And how do you know if you're not? Well, the slippery slope, slippery slope tool that Brad had up there helps you to identify behaviours. Because often we don't even see our own behaviours in conflict because we're so desperately wanting that person to do this and that person to do that, that we will do anything to get that. And if we don't get it, we behave in ways that seem right to us until we learn that there's a different way. I want to talk about this concept of sin because if we talk about peace faking and peace breaking, another word for those behaviours is sin. And we often don't like that concept of sin. And we sit in a place of shame. Oh my goodness. I, we know with our head that we are sinners and that we need a saviour, but our hearts often feel shame at the fact that we're a, a sinner. So the first thing I want to do is I just want to read out a scripture from 1 John 1, 8 to 9, and it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. So I just want to have it as a given that we're all sinners, that in your conflict that you have sinned, if you've been peace-faking or peace-breaking. But I speak the good news to you that Jesus came because we are sinners and he wants to set us free in our sin. So if we talk about conflict, conflict is often a dance. So they do this, so I respond and I do that. And because I responded that way, then they do this, so then I do that. And so if I draw, if I, I'm going to put this microphone down for a minute because I'm going to play out the dance of conflict. And the dance just goes on and on and on. And so if you want to be a peacemaker, one of the ways that you become a peacemaker is that you choose to stop the dance. You choose to stop responding the way that you have in the past. And so I'm going to put this mic down again and I'm going to show you what it looks like if you choose to stop the dance that you're currently involved in in the conflict that you're in. The dance can't look the same if you take responsibility for your contribution, if you take responsibility for your sin. Now, conflict, as, Bruce, as Brad said, always, you'd think I'd know my own son's name, as Brad says, conflict always has these opportunities in it. And the opportunity, the biggest opportunity, is that you get to do a journey with God in the midst of your conflict. You get to glorify God by how you choose to respond in the conflict that you're experiencing. You get to pursue those heart idols, those things that you want so strongly that you will sacrifice the other person to get. So you get to become more like Jesus. And in that, you actually get to serve the other person. So what this looks like practically, you know, I was talking about being a peace faker. I'll even go and do my Sudoku on the loo so that I don't have to be present with my husband. Um, the very thing that I want when I have a fight with my husband, Jeff, is that I want love and I want acceptance and I want affirmation. All really good things. But if Jeff doesn't respond in a way that I want, I'll be offended. And then I'll judge the situation, oh, this is terrible. And how I will try to fix myself up is that I will run away and I will peace fake. So my peace faking behaviour is actually sin. And then I'll jump over to the other side, I'll peace break. So I'm going to be the ice queen and I will be so cold to you for three days and you will know that you are in trouble. So I'll, I'll peace fake and I'll peace break. As a peacemaker now, I still want to do that, but I have a choice. Will I? Or will I be a peacemaker in the midst of it? So I want you to know that we're all sinners. Pot, kettle, saucepan, griddle, we all need Jesus. 
So it's a given. I want to take that shame of sin off you and just speak the love of Jesus into you. But if you're going to take responsibility for your contribution to the dance, if you want to stop the dance that you have, what's that going to look like? Well, first of all, you have to bring these controlling desires to Jesus and go, who are you, God, even if I don't get this good thing that I want? And so we get to go on a God journey. At PeaceWise, we teach principles. What does the Bible have to say about conflict? And we give tools to speak into those principles. So I'm going to give you a tool just one of the many tools that are available, that if something that's been spoken to you here today in the midst of the conflict that you're experiencing, that you've gone, oh yes, I'm a peace faker. So I'm a peace faker who comes out and I'll send some zingers and then I'll run back to my corner again. You might be a peace breaker. You run out of steam. So you become over a peace faker until you've got enough strength to come back out and fight again. God calls us to stop that behaviour. God calls us to take responsibility for that behaviour. And one of the ways that we can take responsibility for that behaviour is by stopping it and saying sorry, saying sorry to God and saying sorry to the person that we have wounded in that behaviour. And so we're going to put a slide up and this is a tool that we can use. It works. The seven A's of apology and confession. At PeaceWise we have lots of acronyms and we have lots of things like seven A's and four G's just to help you try and remember. So the first A in the seven A's of an apology is that we address everyone involved still working. If I behave really badly, so say I behaved really badly to Brad in front of his small group and I berated him or I yelled at him or I screamed at him or that sort of behaviour, but then I apologised to him in public without acknowledging any of the people that I have hurt him in front of, there's an open wound that's still there. So if you've done, engaged in behaviour that has hurt other people in a public forum, like in front of other people, address everyone involved. Don't just apologise to the person that you've wounded. Tell them that you're also going to apologise in the small group that, that you did it in, or do it in that small group that you were there so that the shame that you placed on that person has been dealt with in front of the people that they've been shamed in front of. So avoid if button maybe. The next one, it, uh, the, so address everyone involved and the next one is avoid if button maybe. If I did something wrong and I didn't really but you know, I'm just doing this apology. Maybe I was a bit out of line here, but I wasn't really. And if you weren't so super sensitive, then we wouldn't have to be doing this. So if I did something wrong, maybe I did something wrong. Well, I did do this, but I wouldn't have had to do it if you weren't such an idiot. So avoid if, but, and maybe. They are apology killers. 
The next one is admit specifically. Look, I'm sorry I wasn't very nice. I'm sorry that I yelled at you. I'm sorry that I called you names. I'm sorry that I didn't include you in this thing that we had that I deliberately left you out of. Admit specifically because then it lets the person know who you have hurt that you see exactly what it is that you've done. After admitting specifically, we can acknowledge the hurt You can do a 7A's apology and you can tick the box, I've done that. But when we go to our heart and we see what's been driving us, when we see how we have wounded the person and when we take responsibility for that hurt, the person that we have wounded feels validated. They feel seen, they feel heard, they feel known. So acknowledge the hurt. So admit specifically, acknowledge the hurt. The next one is, oh, oh, accept the consequences. When we hurt somebody, when we behave badly, we often break trust. And when we choose to be different, it may be that trust needs to be restored. If we've lied, if we've stolen, if we've cheated... If we've broken things, it may be that we need to be repairing or returning that thing that we've stolen. So accept the consequences. Because many of us, we want to give an apology. Right, I've said sorry, so now you have to forgive me and so now we can be fine. Sometimes there are consequences that need to follow from when we have behaved badly. The next day is alter our behaviour. I often have had people in the counselling room where one spouse will say of the other, they say that they're sorry, but they just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And if they do that, how can they really be sorry? So we alter our behaviour. We commit to alter our behaviour. And the last one is that we get to ask for forgiveness because Once we've apologised, forgiveness is not a right. It's we hand the power over to the other person to forgive us. So instead of an apology that goes, look, I said I'm sorry, all right? We get to enter into the hurt of the other person. We get to see how we have sacrificed somebody on the altar of our desires. And it gets so confusing because often our desires are really good things. Acceptance, love, respect, obedience. But we can tell that there's something that's gone skew if, if we're peace faking or peace breaking. So you can take those down, if you will, please. And just in the minute or so that we have left... What does this look like for you in your conflict? What does this look like for you as a church? What does this look like if you're going to speak the language of peacemaking here as a community of believers? So I'm going to hand over back to Brad and he's going to speak into that. Thanks, Mum. Wasn't that an amazing paradigm? Is anyone blessed by that? 
Did everyone, get, did everyone write that down or get it on your phone? I'm going to put that up on um, the Anchor Family Facebook group as well. Um, so if you didn't write it down, you haven't missed out, um, we'll get it out to you. I know that this has been personally so helpful for me. I'm naturally on the peace-faking side, anyone else? Blame-shifting, making excuses, defending myself, if, buts, maybes. And, um, you know, I so resonate with, you know, the apology, oh, well, I'm sorry if I made you feel like that, Catherine. Really, that's just about your issue, isn't it? You're oversensitive. Um, and, you know, it's really helped me to take proper ownership of my contribution to conflict and apologise properly. And I, I want to encourage you that God is calling each of us to take the initiative in being a peacemaking community. It doesn't start with someone else, it starts with you. Um, And so let me ask you, who are you in conflict with at the moment? Who's that person that God has brought to mind in this session? Who's the person that you're avoiding or walking on eggshells around? And what does it look like for you to take a next step in pursuing peace and reconciliation with that person? In Matthew 5, in his teaching on anger, Jesus says, If you're offering a gift on the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. Jesus is teaching the urgent priority of peacemaking. And so as we come forward to receive the Lord's Supper together, In a few minutes, I wonder who the Lord is putting on your heart to take a step to pursue peace in that relationship. If you're being convicted, then maybe maybe now's the time for you to write down that person's name, just to take a concrete next step or put a reminder in your phone um, and to hear that warning from Jesus, not to kind of, you know, just come and come to church, but have your worship polluted by these toxic relationships but to take steps towards going and being reconciled with those you're in conflict with our prayer team would also love to pray for you Um, we know that we need God's help for this we need the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit whose fruit is peace and so our prayer team would love to pray for you um, and they'll be available up the back to pray for you soon But I want to encourage us, church, that there is no perfect church. Anchor is not a perfect church. We're a great church. We we love our church family, but we're not a perfect church. We'll continue to experience conflict in our relationships until the day when Jesus returns and brings lasting peace. But until that day, he's calling us to be a peacemaking community. Imagine what a peacemaking church could look like. Imagine a church where we are more concerned about pleasing and glorifying God than winning a fight. Imagine a church where each person took personal responsibility for their sin, confessed it to God, confessed it to one another, and apologized without excuse. Imagine a church where you are loved so much that people approach you to gently bring sin to your attention and lead you to repentance. Imagine a church where we don't bury our differences and disagreements, but where we lovingly pursue peace. Imagine a church where we're sent into our city, into our workplaces as peacemakers to create healthy teams and mediate conflict. Imagine a church with healthy, flourishing marriages where people are quick to repent and be reconciled. 
Wouldn't this be an incredible witness to our nation where over 30% of marriages end in divorce? Do you want to be part of a church like this? I know I do. This is what God is creating here at Anchor in His church, a new humanity, a reconciled family, a peacemaking community, and He's calling you to be part of it. And so as we come forward now to receive the Lord's Supper, we're going to have helpers at each of our stations. And they're going to serve you the bread and the wine as a symbol of the peace that Jesus has made through the blood of his cross. And to express our unity as a church family, uh, we're going to do this all together in, the ch- in this first song. Um, and so if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't want to take part in that, that's totally fine. You can just stay in your seats or stand and sing. But if you do love Jesus, then I invite you as I close to come forward to the four stations and our helpers will serve you. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to receive the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have done all the hard work for us to achieve peace. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus so that we might be reconciled to you. And as we think about this topic of conflict and peacemaking, it can be really hard. And we just want to acknowledge that. And we ask that you would give us courage to be a peacemaking community. That your spirit would fill us with your peace and give us the courage to pursue peace with one another. But again, we want to receive your peace today. We want to receive your forgiveness and ask that that might overflow in our lives uh, so that we might be a peacemaking community. And we pray this in Jesus' name.